Hello, and welcome to Episode 8 of Special Advising, the podcast, No Parent Left Behind, the show that speaks to parents and caregivers about the world of special needs and special education. If you crave knowledge, support, and a little dash of fun, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me and including me in your journey. I hope you find this podcast informative, and perhaps it might enable you to face your days with your children more confidently with a sense of self and love. I believe that sharing of our journeys helps us to manage our days by exchanging our individually acquired wisdom, and I believe we all have so much to give. We can benefit one another if we are open and accepting. Today's show is entitled, We Are All the Same, Just Different. If one is of the mind that there exists an us and a they, then it will be difficult for that individual to see past differences that decidedly, for them, constitute non-acceptance. They would struggle with the question, how are we the same? Our differences seem to be more obvious or pointed out with more regularity than the things that connect us. It's in the differences where we can find ourselves unified and flowing with people who celebrate them or in the weeds with those who act out against them. This has been the same throughout history, but I won't be tackling all that. In fact, this episode is going to be an exploration of thought and reflection and it will address how people with disabilities are considered to be different despite one very basic fact that we all share. Afterwards, stay tuned for today's community share, where you'll hear some positive news happening in the world of special needs and special education. Then, another round of special needs trivia. So hold on tight, because we're about to rocket to another win. subscribe to what's called the social model of disability, which tells us that we are more disabled by the society that we live in than by our bodies and our diagnoses. Stella Young. When I spoke about my uncle in my first episode, I talked about how I both saw the obvious physical difference in his situation as a paraplegic in a wheelchair, and the person with abilities and talents that I didn't have, a man with a unique personality, like all people, and a love for life. Fact. I could walk and he couldn't. Fact. That fact didn't make either one of us better or worse. We just were ourselves. At the risk of oversimplifying, I'd like to make this point. Your child is different in a typical way, in that all people have differences, which is typical of being human. And I propose that these differences are what give us our unique particulars and make us special, No color in a box of gummy bears is the same. They're different colors, and they each create their own taste sensation in your mouth. Yet, they do share a sameness. We are socialized to understand and differentiate between what is so-called normal and acceptable and what is abnormal and undesired. I don't believe I need to explain how that manifests itself. We see it daily in our lives, on the news, and around the world. We're socialized to understand that anyone who veers from this acceptable physical, emotional, and behavioral track is broken and outside of, quote, us. Different has been decided for us before we have the chance to be our true selves, however that may look, without judgment. And if we live thinking we're a part of the different, we risk growing up believing 
we don't fit in, and that idea can become our reality. And the story of us and them will perpetuate and continue to leave so many of us as unrecognized and cheated out of what we all deserve, mutual respect, recognition, and consideration. Does majority mean the same as normal? Is it because the able-bodied and able-minded are in the majority that we come to understand that as the norm or typical? How did it happen that people who did not possess these able qualities become references having nothing to offer in this world? If we accept from the start that every human is different, we might come to see that there is no such thing as normal, in this case meaning societally acceptable, only what is. If we come to accept a come-as-you-are definition of human, then we accept that not everyone has two hands, or can walk, or hear, or see, or accept change well, or tolerate sensory disturbances without stimming to feel better. That not everyone who is cognitively superior is better or worse than their counterparts. Instead of dismissing the intellectually inferior-minded person, can we simply recognize a different version of human and discover their value? Is a person only considered significant if they contribute as society deems acceptable? If we can rid ourselves of the notion of expectations for how a person should be, accept the person as is, then there's no need to satisfy some expectations we're raised to understand as more acceptable and more useful or worthy. In the National Library of Medicine, from an article based on a research study entitled The Person in the Disabled Body, a Perspective on Culture and Personhood from the Margins. Persons with disabilities are one of the most marginalized groups in Western societies. These inequalities are manifested through various disadvantages in the psychosocial, cultural, and economic domains. The aim of this study is to identify ingrained culturally bound assumptions inherent in the treatment of people with disabilities and how, through renewed dialogue, a shift can take place in their treatment away from a singular focus on their physical condition and towards a more holistic focus on their personhood. People with special needs are not broken. They're just a different version of what a human can be. Just like the way I look and behave is my version of what a human could be. What makes me acceptable or unacceptable is how I perceive myself. And normal is not going to be defined for me. From Access Living, in an article by Ashley Eisenmenger, she addresses ableism. She writes, The world wasn't built with people with disabilities in mind. And because of that, the world we live in is inherently ableist. So what is ableism? Ableism is the discrimination of and social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. At its heart, ableism is rooted in the assumption that disabled people require fixing and defines people by their disability. Like racism and sexism, ableism classifies entire groups of people as less than and includes harmful stereotypes, misconceptions, and generalizations of people with disabilities. Able privilege refers to the unearned benefits that American society and many other societies and cultures accord to enabled and non-disabled people. This privilege is rooted in two cultural beliefs. One, that a normal human being is one who can see, walk, hear, talk, etc., and has no significant physical, cognitive, emotional, developmental, or intellectual divergence. And two, that disability is abnormal and therefore a social disadvantage. These beliefs or societal models mean that many cultures, including the U.S., have set up social expectations, structures, 
cultural mores and institutions to accommodate non-disabled and or enabled people by default and that dismiss or marginalize the needs and experiences of disabled and or differently abled people. Just as there is a form of skin color and religious privilege in many cultures, there's also an abled privilege, and it causes the suppression of the disabled culture. It takes place in the workplace, in social settings, and in schools. In an article from ScienceDirect.com, inclusive education is a social response to the medicalization of disability. Instead of seeing some, but not others, as deficient in various ways, the idea is that society makes some people unable to function as they're capable of functioning. Install ramps and lifts in buildings, and people in wheelchairs will no longer be functionally disabled. Change attitudes towards wheelchair users so that they are perceived as having different rather than impaired mobility and are welcome in society, and we're talking about inclusion. And therein lies the point. If we can see each other as people with different abilities instead of dividing humans into two camps, desirably able-bodied and undesirably disabled, then we begin to focus on the person and what they can do and not what they can't do. I can't slam a basketball into a hoop. I can't hold my breath as long as a free diver. I can't on and on. But I can shoot the ball into the hoop and I can hold my breath for a certain amount of time. Does this discount me? After all, I can do many things. Society is set up to condition us towards those camps, but so is the system that differently abled persons grow up in by assigning additional labels to the disability. Now, labels are effective for professionals in differentiating and developing proper support systems for an individual. They help a teacher develop an IEP. These are practical reasons that help the system function smoother, and I see that benefit. But even though a label is intended to serve the individual, does it have that result when it comes to the type of education that person ultimately receives and how they see themselves as a person in a larger world outside of the safe confines of the school? I'm not answering these questions here, but proposing them for your consideration. If we identify someone as disabled along with what I'm calling a sub-label for a specific disability, do we do the individual a service or a disservice? Again, from the National Library of Medicine came a study in 2020 entitled, Being Differently Abled, Disability Through the Lens of Hierarchy. Paul Ashoda and Maximus Sefatho write, Despite its accessibility, the term disability has not been able to shirk the sense of incompleteness, lack, deprivation, and incapacitation embodied in the prefix dis. The current wave of anti-discrimination on disability issues calls for a constant re-examination of the language and the appellations we use in respect of people with disabilities. The aim of this study was to subject the term disability to some relevancy litmus test and argue for the term differently abled because of its transformative and anti-discriminatory slant. The study concludes that the term disability or disabled is exclusionary, stigmatizing, and anti-transformational. As such, it embodies imperfection, incapacitation, and inferiority. Not only is it ominous, it places upon people with disability the perpetual mark of unattractiveness. Against this background, the term differently abled seems to convey more empowering overtones than the term disability. For example, from brighthubeducation.com, 
the learning disabled label can result in the student and educators reducing their expectations and goals for what can be achieved in the classroom. In addition to lower expectations, the students may develop a low self-esteem and experience issues with peers. Labeling students can create a sense of learned helplessness. The students may feel that since they are labeled, they just cannot do well or they're stupid. The label can become the person, and it's almost a fait accompli. I quote Dr. Danielle Farrell, Managing Director of You, Your Options Understood. I recommend you check out her website, which I'll include in my community share page. She says, labels are for jars. From the ADA National Network, people with disabilities are, first and foremost, people. Labeling a person equates the person with a condition and can be disrespectful and dehumanizing. In an article published in the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Department of Psychology, the authors discuss the pros and cons of labeling. While labels can help build communities of people with shared experiences and help others know what to expect from a person with a certain disability, the development of these expectations can also lead people to make incorrect assumptions. Labels are complicated because, on the one hand, we need words and labels for things to just be able to talk about issues, but then also they can kind of bring with them a stigma or stereotypes, says Dr. Will Cox, a social psychologist. The article goes on to mention how the deaf community sees their disability as a key part of their identity. However, from personal experience, the deaf people I know do not consider themselves as disabled. Differently abled persons deserve what everyone else deserves in this life, opportunity, respect, and recognition. They're not here to make the rest of us feel better about ourselves or to discard as inconvenient or some other negatively depicting adjective. These individuals are just that, individuals with their own ups and downs, challenges and triumphs, just like the rest of us. Stella Young is a comedian and journalist who happens to go about her day in a wheelchair. A fact that doesn't, she'd like to make clear, automatically turn her into a noble inspiration to all humanity. I am not your inspiration, thank you very much. Oda Skosgeth, who is a tad dyslexic, expresses her displeasure at being categorized as a disabled student for having a learning difficulty that has both been a challenge and a source of pride for her. I've always thought of myself as just a tad dyslexic. So for me, being put into a category just generally labeled disabled was very weird and actually quite funny. I guess I thought it was a joke. I didn't think that disabled was a word one could use or would use to describe me. But apparently I was wrong. After the initial laughter silenced, I started to reflect on what this actually meant and realized that this was a gesture from very well-meaning people, but it made me feel really bad. Their attention made me feel like something which I do not wish to be. Maybe we should let each individual person define who they are instead of the rest of us defining that for them. If we can agree that different is healthy, inspiring, and good for a society, then we will have come to recognize the one same that we all have in common, our humanity. And now it's time for special needs trivia, so buckle up and strap on your thicky caps. Here we go. Number one, learning styles can best be characterized as A, 
unimportant compared to teaching style, b, unique to the individual, c, remarkably similar across cultural groups, or d, based on the time it takes to learn. Number two, the ADA prohibits discrimination against any individual on the basis of their disability in the full and equal enjoyment of products, services, and facilities. A, true, or B, false. Good luck. Today's Good News Community Share comes from the New York Times and is entitled, How Robots Can Assist Students with Disabilities. New tools use artificial intelligence to assist students with autism and dyslexia and address accessibility for those who are blind or deaf. Imagine, robots that can help teach social skills to children with autism. Translation software that provides deaf students with a more fluid and interactive experience. Data analysis to determine effective methods to identify those with dyslexia. These tools, which all incorporate artificial intelligence, aim to find better ways to detect, teach, and assist those with learning disabilities. Some are already in classrooms. Others are still in the research phase. Social robots, which are made to interact with humans, can help teach social and educational skills to students of all abilities, including those with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, hearing impairments, Down syndrome, and autism. Addressing the needs of children on the autism spectrum is particularly urgent because of their sheer numbers. One in 54 children are diagnosed with autism, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And those students tend to respond to robots in a way that they don't to puppets or pet therapies, or to many of the other kinds of things that we've tried, said Brian Scassolati, a professor of computer science, cognitive science, and mechanical engineering at Yale University. That may be because robots seem human-like, but are non-judgmental, he said. Danielle Kovic, who teaches third grade special education in Hapatkong, New Jersey, said she would be curious to see what further research shows. So much of teaching social skills to students with autism is reading facial expressions, reading body languages, and picking up on social cues of others. Is a robot able to mimic those things we learn from humans, she said? Dr. Kovic is also the president of the Council for Exceptional Children, an organization of special education professionals. I'll include the entire article in my community share page of my website. Truly fascinating research. It's really amazing stuff. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics close to your heart and welcome fresh and informative insights into areas that are new to you. It's an honor to share with and be heard by you. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like the show, please let me know. It would be great to hear from you or leave a review and tell a friend. Also, let me know what you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, I wish all my listeners peace and keep rising.